Dead Bodies is not for the squeamish and is intended for mature audiences. Rollin', rollin', rollin'. I had something to tell you and now I can't remember what it is. Oh, my wedding planner rang me. Oh. Yeah. Is the wedding on again? Well, I don't know. Well, she it's rang me. Use coronavirus as an excuse. Well, she rang me and she was like, hey, Chanel, just calling because I haven't heard from you. And I was like, we have nothing to discuss. And she was like, well, you know, I just want to make sure that you're okay. And I was like, how many days can you pull a weather, a weather, a wedding together in? She goes, mm. I need about three days. I said, great. If I have to send out 200 text messages telling people that my wedding's on in a week's time, that's what we'll do. Okay. It's almost better then. Because I think then, so. But then people need to buy presents oh. of things. I'm going to buy you a coffin. <laughs> Kirsten and I are going to give you a coffin for your wedding. Perfect. Thank you. Well, then you'll be all set. A organized. death boat. Mm. Off I go. Uh Anything else? No. Nothing? No. <laughs> I'm just thinking. Of what? Just in case I have anything. Because sometimes when I'm driving, I think of things, oh, I should say that on the pod. Yeah. But I've just, had... Uh, okay, just blurt. Do you want the Terry Bell in here? Oh, and I'll have to take my headphones off and go and get it again. I can't, I honestly, can't be bothered moving. Cannot be bothered. My feet are up. I'm on the couch. We were trying to work out if we needed the, the interrupting bell. The Terry, I wonder if Terry's even still with us. He's probably given us away because we're not using the bell enough. Can I tell you my story? I'm excited. This one took me so much research. I'm really She's proud really of myself. She's really said a lot of how much research this yes. has taken. You've you've mentioned it many times. Because I had to piece it together from actual. So I've, I think I've mentioned to you before. Trove is. Um, oh, I can you tell love you. Trove. Can I tell you what I did? And I can't give too much away. I was. I, I'm so late to the Karen thing. So, yeah. you know how middle-aged white women are Karen? Are Karens. And they're the women who say, I'd like to speak to the manager, please. Yes. Um, I, so, I uh, think Karens are so funny. I can't give away too much detail, but somebody that I know oh, God. needed a, a Karen for a photo oh. shoot. They just needed like a, yeah. a mom kind of situation yeah. for a photo but shoot. But that's not a Karen. Isn't it? No. Oh, because I, I took it as being Karen. And You're not a I embraced Karen. it. Oh, no. I was like, here's what Karen's wearing today. And I had to pose <laughs> doing things like getting the washing in, making a You're not a Karen, mug though. Of cof- no, I don't. You're not a can I speak to the manager? No. Oh, no, I like to think that I am, but I think in reality I'm not. I no, think you're I, not rude. I go away. And, you're not rude and racist. Because once years ago, so I have like blonde highlights and stuff put in my hair, but years ago they used to do your hair, first of all, with a tipping cap. Did you ever see those done? I did. I know exactly what you're talking oh about. Oh, God, like a, like a bathing cap. And, yes. put, and it hurt. Yeah. So then they progressed from that to glad wrap. Did you mm-hmm. ever have that done? Mm-hmm. And they would wrap your head in glad wrap yeah. and then use a crochet hook and pull bits of hair out. Yeah. And at around the time that became the way of doing it, yes. I had gone to a completely different hairdresser, not someone I trusted, someone I was um, recommended to go to in the city. So I went to this person. It was a bit of a young, ditzy, idiot boy. And he took <laughs> the glad wrap off. idiot boy. Oh, he was like, oh, how, what are we doing today with this? Oh, you know, oh, yeah. oh, bit of that. Too, yep. Far too much. Too many questions about my work, all that stuff. Yep. Just shush. And when he took the glad wrap off, oh, my 
what was God, it? It was, was I looked like a tiger. It was orange and where each of you the... You were full Karen. Well, I didn't. No, I actually went into shock and somewhere oh. I have got photos of it. Somewhere in all these many photo albums behind me. I took photos. I can rem- So I looked in the mirror and there were all these orange... It was literally spots on my head. So where each like bunch of hair had been pulled through yeah. the gladder, it had then leaked down through the gladder and done a little orange dot. So there was orange circle about as big as a 20-cent piece and then a, a, and what did you and an do? orange hair. Well, I looked at them in the mirror and I must have just – I think I just genuinely went into shock because I've got really thin, terrible hair anyway. Like it's not like it's lots of spare hair that you can do lots of yeah. stuff with. And I panicked, shock um, – and he knew that he'd like made a terrible mess. Oh, and he went, oh, we can fix this. And he started doing more things with bleach. So it, I walked out of that hairdresser's with pretty much white hair. Wow. Horrible. And I can, I remember, I remember I was driving a little green Honda Accord at the time. I drove home from the city to St Kilda. I parked out the front of my house. I was shaking like a leaf and I looked in the rear vision mirror and could just see the top of my head and I could see like the scalp was red with sore and my hair was white and crispy and breaking off. And so long story short, I ended up going to another hairdresser who said you've had a chemical haircut and had to have brown hair for a while. They had to dye it brown to try and get strength back in the hair. It took forever to grow back. Anyway, um, I, uh, the reason I tell you is I was not a Karen because somebody went back there and said anything to them. No, somebody, I think I rang them back, but somebody said to me, um, did you pay? And I said, well, yes, I did. I was just like on autopilot. I was so mortified. Um, but also that thing in me was like, oh, don't make a fuss, don't make a fuss. And Maybe I'm a Karen. And they said you shouldn't – if you are in that situation, don't pay because it then makes a thing of the fact that you weren't happy with the service. Yes. Whereas if you pay, you're kind of saying, oh, I'm okay with it now. I'm not a Karen. I will complain. Will you? Yes, but only if it's very much warranted. And I'm probably not – can I speak to the manager? But I'll say I'm just – this isn't right. Are you so? Say you're making a special recipe and you need radishes, and you go to the supermarket. Thing, there's no radishes there. Are you going to go and tap the fruit and veggie person on the aisle? And ask uh, him, aisle on the thing. The, you know what I oh, mean? Oh, I don't tap people. And say, excuse me, oh, not physically. You okay. know what I mean? But excuse me, there are no radishes. Do you have radishes, please, out the back? Are you that person? Yeah. Are you? Does that make me a carrot? Well, a bit. What? Yes. But if you just want radishes, sometimes they have them out the back. Well, what you just go, you just take that as a no. Yeah, and go. Yeah. What? Well, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I would leave it. I wouldn't want to trouble anyone. I told a security guard not long ago that she had a bad attitude. Oh, that's she... hardcore, Karen. Yeah, <laughs> it is. <laughs> but she did have a bad attitude. Oh. I will tell you the situation. So. At the Melbourne Magistrates Court, there are two lines to get in. One is the public line. The other is the lawyers and police line. Yep. And for more than 10 years... I saw your tweet about I this tweet and about I loved it. it. I think I liked it. Yeah. For more than 10 years, it was media line as yeah. well. Media were allowed to go through that line. It was always the way. Then one day, some fucker that works for the security company just decided, no, media can use the public line. 
The issue with this is, and people think we're whinging journos, the issue is that we go in and out of courts. We're there to work. Yeah. It's a place of business for us. We were in and out, in and out all the time to go through security constantly. And when I say public line, there can sometimes be 200 people in that line. Oh, wow. Um, we need to be able to get it in and out quickly. Anyway, so there's a lot of back and forth. And anyway, so we went up to uh, the entrance to the court one day and she said, oh, no, none of you in this line, all of you. She's like kind of yelling at us. Yeah. And I just wasn't going to cop shit on that morning. I just wasn't going to have it. <laughs> Karen Vella steps up. Yeah. So maybe I was a Karen and I said to her, I said, you've got a bad attitude. Yeah. I said, no one's yelling here. We weren't yelling at you. You could have just had a conversation with us. Good. Is that a Karen? Yeah, no, it's well, I don't know what it is, but I like it. And there's a new season of, oh, this is going to be weeks down the track, but 60 Days In is on Fox. Oh, Hill okay. Too, One other season. thing. Yes. The other day, a whole lot of journos got locked out of a courtroom at the last minute. Yes. You probably saw me tweet about this too. <laughs> yes, Shit. Um, and we we're really mad about being locked out. Yeah. So I walked into the courtroom, there's a little airlock bit, and yep. I looked through the glass pane to see who I could see on video link yep. in there, and I could see the barrister and the accused, and I could see that there was a symbol between them, and it was obviously the symbol of the law firm. Right. I didn't recognize it, though, so then I had to get back up, so I ran back out, and I got one of the journos who's been on courts much, much longer than I have, and I said, go and look at that symbol. You'll know what chambers it is. Anyway, we worked it out, and then all the court journos ran across the city in a big gang, and we worked out where they were, <laughs> and then we were all camped out at the front of this building waiting for this accused oh, to come out. Oh, great work. And then this this lawyer who is always quite rude to us she was like marched into the building and she turned around and she said she's not gonna come out this way you know oh and then we all went round the back it is yes we ran round yes. the back and we got her yes yeah ha 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 snippy lawyer you won't anyway. win all right well it's another new south wales one same as last episode and this one was in February 1954, so a 40-year-old man named Olaf Perkman had finished work for the week at five o'clock in the afternoon. So he was a research officer at the Commonwealth Scientific and Industrial Research Organisation, known to you and I as the CSIRO. Oh, I love the CSIRO. And he worked for them at their irrigation research station in Griffith, Okay. which is 571 k's. 355 miles from Sydney. So it was a Friday afternoon. Olaf was going home to spend the weekend with his wife, Winifred, who was Olaf 36. is the snowman. I know. I realised later because I was – this is why I had to do so much research and Olaf – I put in Olaf and it came up at one point. There's very little about him online, but it was okay. in the old newspaper archives. Anyway, uh, so he was going home to spend the wife uh, weekend with his wife, Winifred. She's 36. And he has a nine-year-old daughter called Louise at their home in Orchard Street in Thornley. Mm. So he went from Griffith to Narandera, which is about 50 k's away, and then he got onto the Southwest Mail Train. He didn't even get on that train in Narandera until 7.45, headed for Sydney. That The train trip takes about 10 hours, so it goes through the night and he would arrive in Sydney at home okay. early the next morning. 
At 7.15am, the train pulled into the number nine platform at Central Station and the passengers got off. So that same morning, Olaf's daughter Louise had gone down to the station waiting for her dad to come home. She was playing hide and seek with a friend, eight-year-old Dennis McGuire. And two hours the kids played. When her dad wasn't there by 10 in the morning, Louise and her little playmate went home. Okay. A railway porter by the name of Francis it's a most unusual surname. His surname is Vic. And in some old newspapers, it was just spelt V-I-Q. And in some, it was V-I-C-Q. Vic. Yeah, Francis Mm. Vic. So he was going through the train looking for lost luggage. And he noticed that the shutters of the second last compartment were closed and the door was open. So he looked through the door and he saw a man lying on the seat covered with a rug. And Vic thought he was asleep, so he reached in, oh, shook no. the man by the shoulder, and he didn't move. Yeah. So he lifted up the blanket, and he saw blood on the man's face. There was a pool of blood on the floor. <laughs> the newspapers were so descriptive. The blood had saturated the seats. Oh, get... They love all that stuff they back do. then. They yeah. do. Uh, the man's arms were folded, and his hands covered his face, which is rather unusual, but mm. it suggests that he was trying to shelter himself from whatever happened to him. Uh, So the police were called straight away. They knew that the man had been shot inside the train because all of the windows of his compartment were closed uh, when it had pulled into the station. There was a printed tag stitched into the lining of his coat sleeve and it said Perkman. So police checked the telephone directory and they found a Perkman. They rang the number and the man who answered was Olaf Perkman's father, Alexander. He lived in Pennant Hills. He told the police that Olaf had been born in Vladivostok in Russia and that the family had come to live in Australia in 1925. So he went and identified the body and said that it was his son. It was Olaf Mm. Perkman. Uh, Olaf's mother told the Truth newspaper that he had no enemies. The neighbours described him as a quiet man who never had much to say. They said they only saw him at weekends when he came home to see his family. Okay. So that's this is what makes me sad. Like he was obviously a really clever man. Yeah. And working so hard. Can you imagine not seeing your family all week? He would have had to stay in Griffith and only come home for the bit of weekend Again. he could. Yeah. Yeah. Um his mother only spoke broken English, but she told the papers, Who would want to harm my boy? He had been happy in Australia since he came here. I looked back through some earlier references to him in the papers. When he was a student at Sydney High School in 1930, he won a prize for mechanics and physics. And then there was another article in 1936 where he won something or got something called the Farrow Research Scholarship. So um, that was to undertake some research into plant breeding and chemistry of wheat. So he went to Sydney University. Um, One of his colleagues at the CSIRO, a guy called Eric West, said he was a quiet, amiable man, one of Australia's foremost agricultural scientists and one of Australia's top workers in his field. And another scientist who worked with him, a guy called David Walters, said that Olaf's workmates often felt sorry for him because he seemed lonely. We thought a lot of him here and we couldn't imagine that he would have an enemy in the world Um, and to add to the tragedy of this his wife Winifred had been ill for some time and she just could not believe that she was dead and in the various reports when the police were telling her she just shook her head she refused to believe it so at first the police thought that he had been battered to death with something heavy but they did a post-mortem and they discovered he'd been shot 
with a .22 rifle and the bullet was lodged at the base of his skull. So they thought that the murderer had stood over him while he was asleep and shot him through the head. Uh, and then they believed that the whoever had done that had gone through his clothes clothes to rob him and covered him with the rug because there was no money found on him. Mm. And when he left work, he would have been carrying a pay packet because in those days you actually got a little a packet pay, yeah. with cash in it. Yeah. Um, there was also no train ticket on him, so someone must have gone through his pockets. They put the call out to passengers who had been on the last carriage of the train to get in touch with police and they went to country centres along the train's route to ask questions and at one stage, this is an unnecessary detail but I thought this was interesting, police of 21 Division who were searching for the rifle used in the shooting appealed to the authorities for an issue of new boots, footwear which they have been using in an unremitting search along the railway track are now worn out. Oh, So they had literally walked and walked so, so many much. miles, their boots ran out. So they were mostly concentrating on the last section of the journey uh, between Goulburn and Sydney. Yep. So Olaf, Olaf had last been seen alive at Goulburn Station at 4am and there were then at least three men in the compartment. The ballistics experts examined the bullet that had been taken from the body and the bloodstained clothing and photographers took more than 50 photographs of the scene. The entire carriage in which the body had been found was taken to the old mortuary station at Regent Street and the police scientists went over it for fingerprints. They took out the windows and the door. They dusted the whole carriage with fingerprint powder. Now fingerprints I think were reasonably new I'm like I'm talking about maybe a decade from yeah. then there's a constable Hennessy who is an expert with more than 15 years experience he found some prints they were photographed in large so they had to do each one by hand they had oh. to blow up the photo and then put that next to another and photo look at them. Hmm. Uh, so they checked those against other passengers railway employees and the ambulance and police officers it took them forever to do that Hennessy wasn't satisfied because they still didn't have a good decent suspect so they went over the carriage again and behind the toilet door he picked up the faintest print of one fingertip so they carefully photographed it enlarged it and studied it and it was the middle finger of a left hand so the Central Bureau of Fingerprints was established in Sydney in 1942 and at this time it had records of prints from the whole of Australia. Wow. I think they had at that time about half a million, but today there's millions of sets indexed. Every year, and this is a few years old, this information, but there's at least 80,000 new prints added to the database. Have you been fingerprinted? I have been actually, have yeah. Have you? Yeah. Um, it was years ago I received a, I can't remember if it was a threatening letter, but so in radio you'll often get people who are, quite confused if they maybe hear voices yes and right the and radio can become quite a significant thing because it's a disembodied voice yes and I was sent a threatening letter from memory from someone or it might have been an abusive letter but um yeah we reported it to the police they were there at the radio station like a shot really and they wanted to know who had ha yeah they take that kind of stuff really seriously they wanted to know who had handled the letter and I had opened it, so they fingerprinted me then. Yeah, okay. Have you been done? No. Nah. Hmm. Never. I've so, only ever done the thing where you go to the States 
you have to put your fingerprints on their thing. So oh, they yeah. would have my fingerprints. Yeah. Because they fingerprint everyone on entry. Well, they'll share them, share them with here, surely. Yes. They have to. And a lot of those new prints that they add to the database each year are what they call clean skins, which is when you haven't done – like, for instance, mine. Yeah, exactly. Or people who've only ever done one crime. So, But at this time, print by print, they had to look through the records for a match – Four days in, lucky they struck gold. So this, this is like when Nicholas, the other day, the fucker. What did he do? He got out my my the fucker. The fucker. <laughs> he got out my little wheelie suitcase. Yeah. And um, I never. I only ever take it on board. Yeah. I don't check it because it's a small one. And he goes, he's manic. I think we've been through this about locking things. And he said, oh, what's the code? And I said, I don't know. He goes, what do you mean you don't know? I said, I don't know. I never lock it. I don't. Oh, because you've got it with you. Yeah. 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 And he locked it. (gasps) And I had to sit on the couch and go from zero. No. Yep. Do you know what the code was? One, two, three, four. Nine, eight, five. What is that? Doesn't make sense. Because he's born in 1985. I had made the code his year of birth. And I went from 000 to 985 before that. That's annoying. Why did you He should have had to do it. Because he was pissing me off and I wanted to make a point of having to do it. Wow. (laughs) Did it hurt your fingers? Did you end up with... Yeah, because I had to keep going... And unlock. Ow. Unlock. Ow. All the way up to 985. He's in trouble. He gets no it was tedious. cheese and, and spinach pastries no. for that. Uh, so they struck gold. This was like, I think, four, I mean, four days. It would have been a harrowing four days. But anyway, yeah. uh, the print belonged to a 24-year-old labourer called Ronald Vincent Hull, who had been arrested and convicted previously on a charge of breaking and entering. He was arrested on the 26th of February 1954 at his home, which was on Belmore Road in Hearn Bay. They, gosh, they gave a lot of detail in the old papers. Tell you exactly where they are. In case his you whole go address. There. Lawyers always say in court, oh, we'd like their address removed. And I always roll my eyes because it's not like we're going to write John Smith of 20. But they obviously they did back in to, the day. Yeah. But yes, we don't do it now. Um, so at the coroner's inquiry, Hull said that he had slept in a partly built church near his home. And he told his wife that he was doing a double shift. But he admitted to being on the Southwest Mail train. Why has he killed this man? Well... At first, he said he had nothing to do with it, but then he admitted, and I think this is the case, he needed money. Right. Um, he he had borrowed the rifle from a, a mate. He was planning to commit some house robberies, but he said, I didn't have the guts. He then decided that he was going to go for a job in Canberra, and he caught the train to Goulburn. Right. But when he reached there, I think he'd mucked up the timetables and stuff, and he realised that... Couldn't he just rob him? Why did he have to kill him? Yeah, you're right. You're right. He probably would have handed over his whole pay packet yeah. anyway. Yeah. And he sounds like a sort of a mild and gentle yeah. man. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he mucked up the timetable, so he thought, I'll just go back to Sydney. He said when he opened the compartment door, he saw the man asleep on the, sh- on the seat. And uh, he, first of all, claimed that he didn't kill him, but he did. We know he did. Mm. Uh, he also claimed... Oh, okay. He said to the police at one stage that he killed Olaf because Olaf had made an immoral suggestion to him, which in those days, you know, they used to actually chemically castrate people who were homosexual. So, you know, that was a crime. It was was illegal to be gay. Isn't it unbelievable to think that's in our lifetime? 
It's incredible, oh, isn't it? Oh, shit that you didn't think. Yeah. Like you just can't believe has happened. Yeah, in our lifetimes. Um, so he had given his wife eight pounds and he was asked where did he get that money from. So then he admitted that he'd lied earlier mm. and he confessed that he'd shot Olaf when the train was going through a tunnel, of course, like in a movie, uh, and stole... 10 pounds from his body and some butter and bacon from his luggage. So he was charged with murder, appeared in Central, uh, Sydney's Central Criminal Court. He was described as a man of low intelligence, you reckon. Uh, and yeah, it was all about the money. He had no job at the time and he right. was trying to support his family. Um, he said that when he fired the gun, everything went black. And then I found myself in the lavatory crying. He'd mopped up the blood from the floor, washed a pool of blood from the step of the compartment. So the defence tried to get a not guilty verdict on the grounds of insanity. Yeah. And they called in a psychiatrist. How'd that go? They said that Hull had been subject to severe psychological stresses since his marriage and that he suffered an emotional crisis in the train and was not conscious of what he was doing. Oh, good. Set that man free. But the prosecution, you'll be pleased to hear, disagreed. Their psychiatrist said they were unable to discover any disorder which would explain or excuse what he did, yeah. that he knew what he was doing when he fired the bullet. Um, his mum said he was the eldest of her four children and he was normal until he was 11 or 12 and then he began running away and he was placed in the Mittagong Boys Home by the Child Welfare Department, department when he was very young. She said he was always in and out of work. He became very depressed and didn't talk much. Thanks, mum, for that testimony. Right? That's helping. That's helped me. Trial lasted two days. The jury retired for half an hour, and when they returned, Hull stood with his head bowed. They found him guilty, and yes. Justice Clancy sentenced him to death. Oh! Again, in our lifetime. Can you believe it? Well, not yours, not mine either, but still close. Uh, he raised his head and said thank you when the sentence was handed down. So his wife who was the mother of his three children, Yes, was pregnant with his fourth child at the time oh. and she ran crying from the court after the verdict was announced. So that probably explains if there was another baby on the way, stress. Yeah. Yep. Um, and just one little footnote, and I thought this was rather nice, that there was another man at the CSIRO. He actually was Olaf's assistant, a guy by the name of Mr. Arthur George Richards. Mm. And, and he, again, talked about how brilliant Olaf was as a scientist. He said, of the entire staff at the research organisation, I don't think anyone was held in higher esteem. Um, and he said, Olaf had been preparing a thesis on his studies, which he had been going to submit to Sydney University. So he'd been, do he'd been doing this incredible research. And so Arthur Richards and the other workers at the CSRO they wanted to try and submit the thesis to try and get his degree for him oh. posthumously. But the papers which he had prepared had gone missing, so there was nothing they could do. Oh. But wasn't that sweet that they tried to do that for him? And that is the very, very sad story. And you think what this country lost. We lost one of yeah. our great scientific minds and research. And wheat is such an important thing in this country at that time. So that's Olaf Perkman can't google it well you might be able to but i couldn't i'm going to talk about a child serial killer Ooh, ooh, ooh. Okay. yeah but not in the way you think all right so we're in india and uh there is a boy and his name is amadeep sada he's eight years old do you want an accent at all no his family are amadeep. poor and oh, his Lord, they'll come and take down the statue of me if I do that, won't they? Don't, we can't joke about that. What statues being ripped down? Yeah, they should be ripped down. 
There's no statue of me, so they can't no, tear it down. I think rip down all the statues. Really? What? Yep. No, you can't. Oh, don't start. I think rip them down. Stop it. You're baiting me. Sorry. I do, though. No, don't. Even the one of Molly Meldrum in Richmond, do you want that taken down? No, he's fine. Well, how do you get to choose which ones can stay and can't? Just the racist according fuckers to what you need want. to go. No, no, no. We shouldn't celebrate those people. They didn't know in those days. But we know now. Just put a silly hat on them. That's easily taken off, isn't it? Isn't that? Wouldn't that be more embarrassing for them rather than pull it down? Just put put just a silly to, put to like, make them look ridiculous. Where's Wally hat on them or something? Yeah. Okay. No that access. Costs a lot of money. Okay. Uh, I won't do one. Don't do any. I won't. Um, I'm not. His family were poverty stricken, and because you're going to be shocked in a minute. Okay. And. Um, his father did everything he could to keep the family afloat, and mainly his father worked as a labourer. In 2007, a young mother in the same town left her six-month-old baby to sleep at the village primary school while she ran errands and fixed the house for the day. Wait, what? She just left the baby at the school? Yeah. That's I know. I tried unusual. to. This story is really hard to find a lot of information on, and at times I was thinking, is this all accurate? But it's as accurate as I can be. Like I don't, I, you know, busy mums, it's hard when you've got a baby, but that's maybe someone was watching it. Maybe yeah. you just leave it. No, I'm guessing the there were other people there. No. Right. Okay. Yes. Right. So uh, when she returned to collect her baby, her baby was not there. Oh, so nobody was. Oh, all right. I'll stop interrupting. So the villagers began looking for the baby and it was then that they decided they would confront the eight-year-old boy. That's odd. Now, they did this because the village had a bad feeling about the boy and people were often suspicious of him. Once they confronted the boy, he confessed. What? This is strange. He said he strangled the baby and hit it over the head with a brick. He then took the body of the baby to a nearby field where he covered it with leaves. Really? He was turned over to police, and upon hearing that he had been arrested, his parents fled the town. Now, I've checked. Wait, but again, what? Yeah. Just leave him. Just They just went. Yeah. Okay. No, not okay. Again, I've checked so many websites, and a lot of the information is in other languages that I don't understand, so it was difficult. But what I can piece together is this. Amma Deep had a baby sister and a baby cousin, and I'm saying had for a reason. Yeah. Oh, no. It's alleged that he killed his uh, baby sister and his baby cousin, again, by strangling and beating them. But no formal charge, formal charges were ever laid because it was considered a family matter. Oh, my goodness gracious. Experts spoke to the boy and they determined that he appeared to be a sadist with no comprehension of right or wrong. At eight years old? Yeah. How have you even formed a conscience or anything? Yeah. I'm sure by that age, I can remember a friend who was at uni talking to my daughter Bonnie when she was around that age for her studies because she was studying at what age do children learn to lie? Oh, okay, yeah. You early, this, I reckon. Very well, it early. It shows great intelligence if you do learn to lie. Cause because we always say to kids, don't lie. Yeah. Well, they don't. They naturally don't. You know how they yeah, just blur. They Four-year-olds the are the worst. 
four-year-olds will just tell you everything. They are shocking little smart asses and yeah. just the truth comes out. They yeah. can't help themselves. Yeah. But there's an age where they start to realize, oh, there's consequences for what's yes. happened here. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to say this and that will get me out yeah. of trouble. It's like a development of the brain. Yeah. I wouldn't have thought an eight-year-old had reached that point. Wow. I don't think I started lying to my parents until I went to primary school. I think and then I used to lie. The first big lie I can remember, I was in grade two. So I don't know what age that would be for me. Yeah, yeah probably about eight. Yeah. And I had brought home, because I was such a little goody two-shoes at school. Yeah. And I had brought home, I, had, I was carrying my school report on the bus. Yep. And I got off the bus, and as the bus was driving away, I realised that I had left the report sitting on the seat oh, of the bus. Oh, so you lied. And was just watching the bus drive away, and I lied and said that I hadn't been given it. I remember lying about eating my lunch. Oh, my God, I used to do that too. Yeah, so I used to lie and say, yeah, I ate it, knowing it was at the bottom bottom of my bag. Did you? And I remember waiting for a chance to get it out of my bag and then running outside and chucking it in the bin at home. I used to bring home, because I didn't like Vegemite or cheese sandwiches, I used to bring them home and yeah. hide them in. So my dad had made me a little wardrobe for my Barbie doll clothes. Yeah, so you can imagine the size. I used to hide them in that. Yeah. And mum found them like yeah. ages later and they'd all gone mouldy, you know. Disgusting. Because I didn't, I didn't want it. But. That's kind of was a lie, but it was I was hiding them because I didn't want to hurt Mum's feelings. Okay, I didn't want Mum to know that I didn't like the, cause the she, sandwiches. Mum used to draw pictures on sandwich, like if it was a tuna sandwich, she would draw a little fishy on Cute. it. Cute. I know she went to so much trouble to make. What our, do you draw for Vegemite? I don't remember there being anything. It's probably why I God, didn't want I love to eat Vegemite. it. I'm not eating food without a drawing on it. Do you it. eat Vegemite now? I hate it. I love I it. Never ate it. Oh, I, hate it. I absolutely love Vegemite and cheese sandwiches. Ugh. Anyway, so this is a very short story because it ends here. Oh. The maximum sentence that can be imposed on juveniles in India is three years. Oh. It's believed he may have served that time in a psychiatric facility and it's also believed that he has now changed his name and he is out amongst us. That's not good. In what country? In India. I'm not going to India ever. Yeah. There you are. Because <laughs> the... Child, do you know I got this because I thought, wow. um, God, we've never done any children serial like kids that are murderers. We did um, the James Bulger one, the yep. those two, but they're sort of. I literally ones. typed child killers, and then I had to write child children who are murderers. Find more. I like yeah, it. I will. I'll find some more because I was really into them. Feedback. Mm. Yes, let's do some. <clears throat> I think is that the one we've already done. Done. Let's find some more. Okay, I've got one from Jess. Okay. She says, having a dead body's afternoon on my day off and have not stopped laughing. It's like having my friends over to talk shit while they watch me clean. <laughs> I really put emphasis into that. Yep. She said, the ring in the toilet, you're not the only one. Fuck, you made me feel normal on some level. We all have a bad wee story. I may have peed a little just listening to this. I'm so glad. See, I'm just blabbering the truth on this. I was mostly glad about peeing while you're laughing because I do that all the time. Yeah. Yep. See, what do you got? Uh, I've got Andre who says, Hi, Dee Dee, Chanel and Kirsten. Nice things, nice things. First of all, when I was binging episodes, I reached episode 64. I would wow. like, to, like to apologize to you all, especially Dee Dee, because you pointed out that you saw a woman feeding hard-boiled eggs to her family at Melbourne Airport. I'm very confident that this woman is my mum. <gasps> <laughs> what? 
Okay. Very confident. How could you possibly know? Um, it hadn't occurred to me, me, to me or my family, that we'd pass gas at all in public places. I always have courtesy, and I do my best not to fart. Have you ever crop dusted anyone at work? Okay, like walk I down haven't. The corridor, no, corridor really I fast? don't fart at work. Don't you? No, Nicholas farts everywhere. I'm going to confess I may have done one or two in the corridor, but while I'm walking quickly. And you just pray that no one comes behind you and gets cropped. Nicholas will fart in Chadston Shopping Centre, which is like our major shopping yeah, centre here in Melbourne. Yeah, big open space. And we'll just fine. be walking and I'll hear it go, and then he'll laugh. And I'm like, oh, my Lord. And he'll fart like just as we've changed the sheets at home. And That's that annoying. really gets me yeah. off my head. Yeah, because there's a scent. You know, yeah, don't. it's terrible. It lingers. Um, now, Andre's email was quite long. Andre, I apologise. We can't use a whole email. Um, but he talks of seeing two relatives passing of old age. Uh, in particular, when Andre was about 11, he says, I saw my great-grandmother in her coffin at the crematorium. Her daughter fainted as the oh. coffin went into the fire. Oh, gosh, you don't see the flames, do you? Do you? Oh, I don't know. Anyway. Uh, Andre goes on. For the weirdest place I've listened to this podcast. Oh, these are all the questions we put up. Okay. Yes. Weirdest place you've listened. Um, I have run in the dark in parks where no one is around. No. It's sometimes scary, especially when something sinister is mentioned on the podcast. But I think it helps me become braver. Behind you. Behind you. I don't think you need to practice. Actually, I saw this um, video on social media and it's... um... I'm laughing thinking about it. It was how you feel when you take the bins out at night. And it's a guy just like rolling down the driveway and he puts the bin out the front and then he turns around and he starts sprinting back into the house and there's like a guy chasing him because you really feel like that at night when you're out. You You feel like someone's chasing you. Um, Andre says, "More, I like how you said social media, like an old person would do. It's like social. a big general thing to cover. It was probably TikTok or it something. It was TikTok, was so I said social media <laughs> on the on the social on the interwebs. Um, morning joggers are said to be the ones." who find corpses. Sometimes they end up being the corpses. I never run in the morning because I'm rushing for school. Uh, To the actual feedback, oh, okay, this is just going to tell us how good we are or not. Uh, (laughs) Do we want this? Yeah. There is nothing to fault. Yes. Good one. Uh, Other than the need for more laughter, as it's nice to hear an unprofessional Chanel and Dee Dee swearing. (laughs) Nervous Kirsten is a mood. Oh, it's a text. Again, I know. We can't get it. I've turned the texting off because I was worried I was getting other messages. Um, Please continue interrupting each other with funny poo stories and rants. I live for these as I've often revisited episode 19 where you all cry with laughter. (laughs) I think accents are always funny. Ha! I agree. I don't look. Some people get upset about it, but yeah, well, I, I know you, so I know where it comes from. Uh, there's more things. Oh, okay. I'm just going to read bits of it. Uh, thank you for making this podcast. Kirsten is the radio queen next to the radio queen. Chanel, please get married and make Bruce and Barry suits to wear. Oh my gosh. Okay, I'll <laughs> give you an update, Andre. Okay. My mum bought the dog suits. Oh, the dogs! The dogs have dog suits yes, to wear on is, the wedding day. Yes, this and is they have best. little top hats. Yes, yeah, yes. They're little. I uh, think it's, it's insane. Mum came over with this huge box, and she was laughing. And I was like, "What is this?" She was like, "It's a wedding present." And I was like, "Oh, okay, a toaster maybe." And I opened it, and there were dog outfits in there. Yeah, bless her. Yeah, 
Bless Mama Vella. Both yeah. the Vellas. I love them both. I might even dress them up and put it, get Rehearsal. a photo. Yeah. Rehearsal. Yes, please. Okay. Oh, no. I feel like we need to wait. Don't Do we? Take, yeah. Can we be like the bride? Okay. Like, don't take the goodness out of okay, it Okay. We'll wait. We'll wait. Save the goodness for then. All oh, right. that's exciting. I can't I wait I love to that people them. like hearing an unprofessional Chanel because yeah. this is how everyone in real life knows me. No yeah. one knows the Chanel on TV. Potty mouth. Correct. Um, are, are we done? Oh, you've got another one there? No, I've got one more. Okay. From Emma. She says, first off, nice things, nice things. I've been listening for about a year. Ooh. But first time writing in. Love the banter. Thank you for uh, continuing on during coronavirus. Uh, Emma is reading Mary Roach's book, Stiff, which we mentioned recently mm. um, about human cadavers. I can never say that word. Cadavers. Cadaver, cadavers. You just said it. Oh, I always think I say it wrong. What are you talking I don't about? know. In science. So, one of my dead body experiences has been at a public anatomy course all about head and neck facial muscles. Oh, you have to look at the face then. It's yeah, not just the body. Yeah, it was fascinating. I'm about to start studying speech and language therapy. So, hoping to do the course again next year. Ooh. Also wanted to tell you about the Museum of Death I went to in New Orleans. It was tiny and stuffed full of images, displays and information about all things relating to death. Worth a visit if you're ever in New Orleans. Hope you're all well, Emma. I was in New Orleans and I did want to go, but I was traveling with Bonnie and I didn't want to leave her on her own. Yeah. And she wasn't into it. So right. I didn't go. Um New Orleans has got a kind of a spooky it does. vibe to it. Ooh, it's so much history. Yeah. Um, side note, my mum, my beautiful mum, mm-hmm. had surgery and she had to get some lymph nodes removed from her neck. And when we went for the follow-up consult, this has just triggered my memory because talking about facial muscles and things. Um, they were like, yeah, we took all these, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, got any photos? He was like, yeah, there's photos like of what they took out. Yeah. And I was like, can I see them? And he looked at me like I was That's a weirdo. Crazy. And then he showed me. I was into it. What did they look like? Grapes? Oysters. Oysters? Like little oysters. Oh. That's yeah. the lymph nodes. Yeah. Well, they were they were bad lymph nodes. They got taken out. Right. Mm. He would have thought I was a weirdo, but I just wanted to see the photos. Yeah, I don't want to see bits mm. that – I'm okay with bones and stuff, but I don't want to see, like, fleshy bits coming Fleshy out. bits, yeah. Yeah, what's in, yeah, there's a reason it's on the inside. It's a reason we've got skin. Cover all that shit up because it's not very attractive. Blood True. and corpuscles and stuff like that. All right. Well, that's, um, I think, uh, all we've got time for today on Thank you today's for joining us. Dead Bodies podcast show. We've enjoyed your time. It's been lovely being with you. Stay safe. Stay home. Stay healthy. That was really good. <laughs> <laughs> Dead Bodies is created by D.D. Dunleavy and Chanel Vella and produced by Kirsten Lim Howe. Contact us at deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com.